Hello. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have a wild case for you guys. <laughs> I was trying Woo-hoo. to think of a better word for than wild, but... I know when you said wild, I was like, man, you texted me this morning and you were like, I'm going to find a better name. And she said wild. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been it's distracted. Okay. <laughs> Story of my life, honestly. <laughs> it's like a roller coaster of a case. Actually, it's really not a roller coaster. It's like pretty, um, it's like, I don't know what the descriptive word. It goes very quickly because it's like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with that. All I know is if you know my fun fact thing that I want to talk about in this case, I'm going to be like, I probably might actually cry. I think I probably know your fun fact because I think you and I are very similar that we'll get to it. We'll get to it at the end. <laughs> I think we'll get to it. Yeah. But no, I saw it and I was like, dude, if Peyton mentions this, I'm just going to be so upset. <laughs> Okay, I will, I, when I wrap up, before I get to my fun facts, I'll ask you first. Bet, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but before we dive in, the one thing I want to talk about, Cindy and I just talked about it for like 10 minutes, so I'm very sorry, Sid, um, is, I know we posted on social media too, but um, just like the events unfolding with the school shooting in Oxford, Michigan um I, like I was telling Sydney it's like very close to home uh my boyfriend has like a very good work friend whose whose daughter goes to Oxford High and luckily was not on campus that day um I have a lot of friends or family friends that have kids or relatives there so I mean it's very close to home for me so it's been like when I said I've been busy, it's literally, I just told Sydney that, like, that's all I've been obsessing over all week is reading everything unfolding, and it's very tragic, and just, I guess, my heart goes out to everyone involved in all the victims, and if I see any other things pop up for fundraisers, I will be share, be sure to share it, which says a lot, because I don't usually, I'm not usually the one posting on social media. <laughs> Yeah, the one the one Peyton posted yesterday, like by the time I saw it, it was already sold out. I was like, wow. <laughs> That's sad. Yeah, I mean, it's it, great. But at the same time. By the time Sydney saw it, it was already sold out. Yeah. I didn't even get one to be honest. I was like, oh, let me share it while I'm working. And then by the time you and I talked about it, I already saw like another comment from someone else's post that shared it and was like, they're all sold out. <laughs> But, I mean, with a case that's going, like, viral like this, like, it's definitely one that, like, everyone around the world knows about, or, like, at least in the States knows about. I feel like it's bound to be that all the stuff, like, sells out. Yes. Because everyone wants to be involved. Well, that's all I have for the, the sad start, I guess. And then we can dive into this, like, pretty crazy story. So no sad stuff. Uh, yes. And I had promised that I was trying to keep with the holiday theme. And uh, here I am. First case of December bringing everyone this episode. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess buckle in. <laughs> it's coming Take it for away. you. <laughs> Christmas Eve in 1992 would mark the start of a killing spree in the city of Dayton, Ohio, which would be remembered as the worst in the city's history. The four involved in this spree were an unlikely bunch due to their age, but their rampage over three days would rattle the city and leave many without their lives. The police called it at the time a joy killing spree, But this story would be remembered as the Christmas killings. Marvelous Keen was a 19-year-old boy from Dayton, Ohio. 
He had been a good student and had no criminal record, but this was really all up until his brother's death. In 1991, the year before this case and the events we're going to talk about take place, Keen's brother was murdered while attempting a robbery. And this changed Keen profoundly. He became more introspective and sullen. He gave up on his education completely and became pretty depressed. For a while, Keen moved to California to live with his father in hopes that this would help him, but he would really leave there due to conflicts with his dad over money, supposedly. In August of 1992, Keen returned back to Dayton, Ohio, and by early December, he had also left his mother's home. He was staying in a flop house on Yuma Place, which was across the Great Miami River from downtown Dayton, and he was staying there with some friends. Some of these friends would call themselves the Downtown Posse. The second person in this downtown posse would be Laura Taylor, a 16-year-old runaway girl, and she was the girlfriend of Marvelous Keen. DeMarcus Smith was 17 at the time and dating the last person in the group, which was Heather Matthews, who was 20 at the time of the events. Heather Matthews had recently been paroled prior to these events and had a history of prostitution and theft. Other than these facts, not much is known about these four and their history prior to these events. Especially with two of them being minors, a lot of their records or anything like that hadn't been released. The night these events would begin was Thursday, Christmas Eve in 1992. And the group decided they could make some quick money for Christmas by robbing a guy Laura Taylor knew. Just a heads up, there's like a lot of people involved in this. So sometimes I use both first and last names, but for the suspects, or I guess these four involved, I use their last names predominantly. So very sorry if I... <laughs> confuse anyone Sydney if you get confused make sure you ask <laughs> thanks for clarifying that because I probably was about to be confused all of a sudden when you're like calling them well like, yeah when... calling them by their first name I'll be like <laughs> who is Keen and then I'll be like oh wait that's his last name <laughs> yeah and so I'll kind of go back and forth at the end I'll recap and like use their full names again but um I just kind of switched to just their last names in hopes that, like, anyone else you hear is a new character. <laughs> okay, okay. So, Taylor pumped the group up by telling them, let's get some drama in our lives. She was excited for this opportunity and causing some havoc. She had promised a Christmas Eve orgy to Joseph Wilkerson, who was 34, with herself and Matthews in exchange for money. Instead, when they got to his home that morning, they tied him to his bed with electrical cords, and Keen, Taylor's boyfriend, came in and shot Joseph Wilkerson in the chest, supposedly right at the heart. After Keen shot him, Taylor shot him in the head with another gun for good measure. It was actually a gun that they had found in his home. After killing him, the group hung out and partied in his house, even eating his food. They then ransacked his home and taking anything that they could pawn off for some cash, which included a microwave oven, a small TV, a phone, a curling iron and blow dryer, his gun, as I mentioned, and Wilkerson's car. Joseph Wilkerson would not be discovered until two days later on December 26th. The second victim on Christmas Eve around 10 p.m. would be Danita Gallette, an 18-year-old mother of two. Danita had gone to a phone booth on Neal Avenue to make a call, and while using the phone, the group supposedly saw her feel a ton of shoes and decided they wanted them. 
While she is on the call, Keen pointed the gun at her through the glass of the phone booth and said, Merry Christmas, bitch. Which, like, sounds like a very bad line from a movie. And the rest of the group would then proceed to rob her of her coat, feel of sneakers, and the backpack that she had on before firing anywhere between five to nine times into the phone booth. It varied by article, but it is known that Smith and Keene were the two that pulled the trigger. So the two men in that group of four. When the police arrived after the fact, the area around Danita would be covered in blood and shell casings. It was reported that she had only 50 cents on her at the time. Danita was rushed to the hospital, but would die there of her injuries. The third victim that night would be Jeffrey Wright, 29 years old, and actually Heather Matthews' ex-boyfriend. He was shot four times in the legs outside of the Yuma Place house where the group would stay by Smith. Remember, he's Heather's new boyfriend or Matthew's new boyfriend. Jeffrey managed to escape to a neighbor's house for safety and would survive this attack. Later on, Matthews would tell detectives that the group contemplated going to the hospital to finish him off, but decided against it. Sounds probably like a good plan. (laughs) The next day, which is Christmas Day, started off by Taylor luring her ex-boyfriend, Richard Maddox, 19, away from his parents' house by asking him if he would meet up with her. Taylor got in the car with him while the other three tailed them. Richard eventually noticed the car following them and tried to accelerate to get away as he got pretty nervous. And Taylor would then pull out a gun, put it to his temple, and pull the trigger. As the car was about to crash, she jumped out to safety. Richard's car would be found and he would be rushed to the hospital, but he would also die of his injuries. Later that day, Christmas Day, the group would carjack a woman, filling her air with tires. She ran before they had a chance to get too close, and they took off with her Dodge Shadow. And the woman would walk away unharmed. That would be the end of their Christmas Eve and Christmas Day rampages. But early Saturday, December 26, their attacks would continue. Around 8 a.m. December 26, the group would rob a rundown mini mart at the corner of West 5th Street. Laura Taylor would be the first to go into the store to scope it out for the rest of the group before the remaining three would enter. Sarah Abraham, 38, was working behind the counter of her family's store when the group came in and robbed it. She handed over all the cash in the drawer, which was a total of $44, and then Keen shot her twice in the face. Sarah died five days later from her injuries. She remained in a coma the entire time. Jones Pettis, a 67-year-old customer in the store, was also shot twice by Smith, once in the stomach and once in the hand, but he would survive these injuries. There was a third customer in the store that day, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of articles don't even mention him. (laughs) 71-year-old Jimmy Thompson had given Taylor a nickel towards her soft drink when she was short the money she needed to buy it. So when she first came in, she tried to get a soft drink to, like, scope the place out. And he was just this nice older man was like, oh, here you go. He actually survived and walked away completely unharmed. When the shooting started, he flew to the ground and pretended to be shot. So the group left him. Which is like so smart. (laughs) That's what you gotta do. I don't feel like that's very like uncommon. Like people like just pretend like they're dead even though they weren't even shot or shot at. Shot in literally (laughs) just fake dead. That's what I would do. This man is smart. (laughs) Very smart. 
Later on that day, sometime in the afternoon on December 26th, the group decided they needed to cover their tracks a bit in case anyone decided to talk or snitch on them. Marvin Washington, 19, and Wendy Cottrell, 16, had been friends of the group. Taylor was friends with Wendy, and Marvin was Wendy's boyfriend, and the two hung around with the others often. In fact, they actually had been present when the group had shot Jeffrey Wright, Matthew's ex-boyfriend who survived. The group decided to drive around, pick up the two, and stop for some beer and wine to party. However, while driving around, Keen announced he had to pee, and they, had a, they pulled the car off into a field so they could pull over for him. When the car stopped, Keen and Smith drew their guns, pointed it at Wendy and Marvin, and ordered them out of the car. They then marched the two to a gravel dirt pit and shot them multiple times. These bodies would not be found until the next day. Some time later, on December 26, the group is cruising around in the Dodge Shadow that they carjacked, and little did they know, their reign of terror would actually soon be ending. An officer driving around spotted the car, ran the plates, and confirmed it was the one that had been reported stolen. Police Sergeant John Huber then pulled the car over and, upon searching the car, found several weapons. According to police records, all four in the car cooperated and put their hands up. They were arrested on the spot, with the cop not knowing at the time that these four were in the middle of a killing spree. They had known, obviously, at this time about several of the incidents, but not that they were linked together. And three of the victims, Joseph Wilkerson, Marvin Washington, and Wendy Cottrell, would not be found until after the group was arrested. Later on, detectives also found out that when the group was first pulled over, Taylor had ordered Keene to shoot the officer, but he refused, which led to their arrest, which is pretty interesting. I have some notes on this later, kind of. <laughs> While in custody, the police officers began linking the cases all together and tying it all to the group. A large part of linking this all together was due to the weapon, weapons and shell casings left at the scenes. After the group was arrested, a minister came to visit Laura Taylor after hearing she was only 16 years old. He was very concerned of the charges she was facing for such a young age. While he was there, Taylor told him about the other two victims in the gravel pit. They then found Marvin and Wendy. So, <laughs> that was the case. <laughs> and this killing spree that took out quite a bit of people. It's a lot they to take in. That's like a whole population. Sorry. Yeah, yes. It's like, a, it's a lot of people and a lot of names. <laughs> How many total is it? They killed six people. They shot two more that would survive. And then I did also read some interesting facts that before Danette, there was another person that they had tried to rob, but the person like ran away or something like that before they were able to get too close to like get to them. So that could have potentially been another victim. And later on Christmas Eve, like that evening, they were also like staking out an ATM machine in the hopes that someone would come stop to get cash on Christmas Eve. And then they were going to rob and kill them too. But no one came while they were waiting. So like they had the intention of doing a lot more damage than they did. That's crazy. Yeah. And keep in mind, they're 16, 17, 19, and 20. Just a bunch of kids. Well, I think like by... Even using the phrase, like, let's go get some drama, like, just, you can tell, like, how little they are, like, young they are, like, I don't feel like that's a phrase that anyone in their adult life would hopefully use to go kill some people. It also seems, like, very cold to me for such a, like, young age, um, and, like, the cops 
and detectives like always describe this as like literally a joy killing spree. They literally just went on a killing spree for fun and they enjoyed it and they had zero intentions of stopping. Well, it's very obvious, I think, too, that they definitely enjoyed it because otherwise, like, you could have stopped. <laughs> it was definitely, like, a joyful experience. I don't know. It's weird. It's just one thing, like, when it's referenced, anything's referenced like that. It's just, I it can't get my head around it. Yeah, me either. It's, um, it's pretty messed up. <laughs> so, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so some things happened, you know, obviously with the trial and after the fact, and then I'll get to our fun facts here, Sid. But the first one to cut a deal was Heather Matthews. Since the only two adults that were actually like legally by age adults at the time were Heather Matthews at age 20 and Marvelous Keen at age 19, they were the two with the possibility of the death penalty on the table for their crimes. Heather Matthews cut a deal and agreed to testify against Marvelous Keen. In exchange for her testimony, she pled guilty to two aggravated murder charges for the deaths of Wilkerson and Abraham, and she received two consecutive life sentences for this. This spared her the death penalty, but she knew that she would more than likely be spending the rest of her entire life in prison because it was without the chance of parole. Laura Taylor was also convicted and sentenced to two life sentences without the chance of parole. Demarcus Smith, who was 17 at the time and also pulled the trigger in a lot of those crimes, took a plea agreement hours before his trial was set to begin and pled guilty. He was sentenced to four consecutive life terms without the chance of parole. Now, keep in mind, the death penalty was not on the table for DeMarcus Smith because he was only 17 at the time. However, Marvelous Keen decided to go to trial and he chose a trial by a panel of three judges instead of a jury trial. I thought that was really interesting. It's like very rare that you see that. So I included that little note there. And is that something like that your attorney could just like do a motion for or what? Like I want a smaller trial? Yeah, so, like, you have a right to a jury uh, trial by a jury of your peers. And so, sometimes, like, a lawyer can motion and they request that instead of, you know, a jury, they want a trial by judge. But it's, like, very rare that you see that you do, like, a trial by a panel of judges. Yeah, that's super weird. I don't think and I've ever heard of that before. my guess is because it's like a death penalty case that maybe they were, a, like, that's why. Open to it. That's maybe, yeah. like, depending on what your actual crime is. Yeah. Hmm. So, Heather Matthews did testify against Marvelous Keen, and he was found guilty and sentenced to death. He was executed on July 21st, 2009 by lethal injection in the state of Ohio. And at the time of his execution, he was asked if he had any final words and he said no. So that is our story of the Christmas killings. What do you have to add here, Sydney? I want to know if you got it, if you if you have this information. Oh, I 100% your list? I have it. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> What's your list? Of, well, all right, let me, let me go through a couple. Okay, so another thing I wanted to add was, okay, so the Joseph Wilkerson, that was the first person that they had robbed, and they promised a, a Christmas orgy, and they took, like, his microwave and stuff, um, and they yes. also, like, partied, they partied in his house for a few days. So the one thing that stuck out to me with that and, like, I had seen in a couple places was, like, they partied there and, like, stayed there. They ate his food. And, like, while they were doing all of that, he laid – he was, like, laying in the bed with, like, clothes on top of him. 
So, like, he was very much still there, which I feel like is obvious, but it's also fucking weird, like, if you think about it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna party in this house while it's there's this dead guy. Weird. And, like, just the way that they describe it, like, yeah, he, quote, partied in his house for several days while he laid there in bed with clothes over the top of him, dead, end quote. Yeah, like, that's pretty I fucked always up. get super uncomfortable when there's, like, a story that involves, like, someone staying in the house with, like, a dead body for days. Yes. Yeah, this is, like, one of them. <laughs> super weird. And also, like, just, like, the fact that out of all of these murders, like... Obviously, their goal or, like, end goal was the robberies. You know, they were hoping to get stuff. They were going to sell it for money or right, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that actually reminded me. So, in my town, there was a case that had happened in 2009, I believe. And there was, like, four guys that went into this ice cream shop and had the intentions of, like, robbing the ice cream shop. The ice cream shop. And basically ended up shooting the cashier and left with $14 and, like, are all in prison for, like, ever. Yeah, for for what? For getting $14. Well, I even, like, read one article and it was, like, when they killed Wendy Cottrell and Marvin, her Mm -hmm. boyfriend, that they even took Wendy's tennis shoes off her feet and it was, like, no... Like, no um, no prize was too petty for them or something like that. But it literally yeah. used that word. And I was like, that's really true. Like, and Danita, like, she had 50 cents on her. You wanted her tennis shoes. She would have gladly given you her tennis shoes. And I think, yeah, that's... If you wanted someone's uh, curling iron, you could have probably asked for it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's literally. Just, the end goal of the whole thing is just really sad and very horrific because... They literally walked away with, like, even if you were to add up all of these items in, like, today's day and age, like, they're used items. I doubt it was, like, a brand yeah. new curling iron, like, a brand new pair of shoes. They're probably used shoes. They've been walked in. Like, what, you walk away with maybe $300 worth of stuff? Literally between yeah. four of you. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more, but, like, not by much. Yeah. It's definitely it was definitely sad. I also saw that like these four were known at like the courthouse because they used to like panhandle and beg on the corners and like the steps by the courthouse. The and so a lot of people and, Yeah, and so a lot of people would know them because they would be constantly out there begging. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right, what other facts you got for me that I missed? (laughs) If Um, not, I'll go into my fun facts. (laughs) No, I think the only other thing I have is what I think we both have. (laughs) Is it Marvelous Keen's final meal? Yes. Okay. (laughs) The mouthful. It's a lot. (laughs) He had a lot of food. He was very hungry. Please read to me what he ate. Okay. He had a porterhouse steak cooked medium with A1 sauce. I will say I very much approve, except I'd want medium rare, but I'm a big A1 sauce fan. Don't forget the sauce. He also had a pound of deep fried jumbo shrimp, both fries and onion rings. Dinner I'm already rolls. full. I, I know. <laughs> I can't even... And it keeps going, folks. <laughs> Dinner rolls with strawberry preserves, two plums, a mango, a pound of white seedless grapes, two bottles of Pepsi, two bottles of A&W cream soda, and a German chocolate cake. I just... I feel like they just pick random ass items and are like, just, just to be fucking petty. Like, how the, he- what the fuck are you, you're like, are you going to eat a bite out of every single item? That's <laughs> it. Why do you need a pound of shrimp? Okay, so Why like, you just get is, two. This is like what I thought about. Cause I couldn't find anything if it said he actually ate it all or not, like, or how much he ate. You know, there was nothing on it. But here's like what I was thinking. 
you're given this food and you're not like given like, oh, you have one hour. Like you are given this food and you have like hours to eat whatever you want to eat because it's your last meal before they kill you, right? Um, Execute you is the correct term, Peyton, Jesus. Um, (laughs) But anyways, I like could picture like eating, you know, a quarter of the steak and like some of the fries and onion rings and some of the shrimp, wash it down with some of the pop, maybe a dinner roll. And then like 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh, I'm not really hungry, but like I'm going to pick at this stuff and like just kind of like every half an hour eating it. And I got to imagine like if this is your last meal, I don't care that I'm uncomfortably full. I want to like enjoy every last bit of that meal. (laughs) I would literally probably stuff myself until I was like nauseous. In a situation like that where you're eating that much food, like, you'd probably want to die anyway. You just feel so sick. Yes. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I think for me uh, it was, like, I agree. just, like, I don't know how exact it is. So, like, a pound of seedless white grapes. Like, two bottles of Pepsi and two bottles of A&W cream soda. Like, not I know, just, like, and they didn't say if they're, soda. like, normal size or if they're two liters. Dude. It was cans, a lot. Cans of Sprite. <laughs> I don't want it in a bottle. I need it in a can. It's it's better uh, in a can. It's so much better in a can. I only buy canned Coke, so we don't we yeah. don't drink out of two liters in this household. <laughs> I don't I mean I don't feel like most people do that. I only do that for like if I have like mixed drinks. I feel like, because you're going to use the whole bottle. Yeah, probably. (laughs) But moral of the story, that's a lot of fucking food. And I feel sick thinking about it. Yeah, I don't know how people could do it. No. I know some people that could probably do that, to be honest. I guess. I think I could probably think of a couple of people, too. And I feel like I get your point, though, too. Like, you probably just sit there and, like... Oh, I'll have a little bit more. I'll have a little bit more. But I feel like there's got to be some sort of limit on it. Oh, I agree. I wouldn't. I don't think I could actually do it. But not all of that. But I could definitely probably eat more than normal. I think. I don't know. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I feel like I might be, you know, sick to my stomach already. I'm about to die. Death by firing squad is my personal way I would like to <laughs> go out. That's the way you want to go out? If, yep, I don't the think they do that in the United States anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's in some states you can pick that. Wait, can you? Swear to God, swear to God. It hasn't been done since, like, the early 2000s. Early 2000s? Execution by firing squad. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. This is a real thing, man. Methods of execution. These are the authorized methods. Execution by firing squad is currently only permitted in three states. Mississippi, (laughs) Oklahoma, and Utah. There was one that just requested it in 2021 in Nevada, but it's not authorized in his state. (laughs) But South Carolina is moving closer to allowing the death by firing squad. That's what I just saw. This is wild. I didn't know that. Yes, my boyfriend and I one day were um, minding <laughs> our business, talking about uh, the death penalty or something stupid. And he was like looking it up and he was like, so how would you want to go out? Death by firing squad, lethal injection. I'm like, what? There's options? That's wild. Well, I think they've got to commit a crime in a different state then because I don't think Wisconsin even has the death penalty anymore. I know Michigan doesn't. Uh, Wisconsin has, like, barely ever had the death penalty. Um, oh. Hasn't happened since, like, the 1800s. And there was only, like, one person to die by hanging. And it was he was actually from Kenosha. And that was, like, the last person to die by hanging. Hmm. But no, we don't Interesting. have kind of lame well i do have two more little like fun facts side notes 
Okay. So uh, the first one, I kind of mentioned earlier, like, we'd come back to this. So, like, Marvelous Keen is often described as the leader of the pack and, like, the leader of this group. I'm sure, Sydney, like, when you also did your research, you also probably saw that a lot, that, like, I mean, he obviously got the heavier sentence than everyone else. And, like, he was described as the leader, especially because he committed most of the murders. But I'll be honest, like, reading everything, it did not seem like he was actually the one in charge. It seemed like the youngest one, Laura Taylor, was kind of the one in charge. And she, like, you know, she ordered him to kill the police officer, and he didn't. She also killed wilkerson joseph wilkerson and she killed her boyfriend ex-boyfriend on her own and she was the one like i feel like super involved in every single one of these crimes detectives were like shocked by her insolence like facing all of these serious charges i actually have a quote from one detective saying the following I don't think I've ever met what I would call a hardened person at 16 years old. A cold-hearted girl. She was so hard. She didn't even go to the restroom or ever asked to go to the restroom. She urinated in the chair she was sitting in in the interview room. Hope I never run into another person like that. And I was like, holy shit. This girl is literally crazy. When I saw that, it was like the one of these detectives literally says, like, I hope I never meet someone like her ever again. That's crazy. Yeah, so to me, it definitely seemed like she was the leader of the pack. The brains behind it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe not the word brains. No, you're yeah. fine. That was like my afterthought. I was like, eh, I don't think that's the right word. Like, <laughs> And then I do have uh, one more fun fact, and I guess that's like in air quotes. In 2000, during a prison interview, Heather Matthews explained why she agreed to be involved in the crime by saying, and I quote, I wanted to be like them. I wanted to do what they was doing. Which, like, first of all, it's very poor grammar. But second of all, (laughs) um, it was, like, actually extremely controversial at the time that Heather, who was the only white defendant out of these four criminals, received a plea deal. Uh, I actually searched, like, archived news articles because I was trying to find some, like, extra background on them. And I found, like, a a piece that basically went on a whole rant about her and her treatment. I guess during the time of all of this, a lot of the stories being published had painted her that she just got caught up with the wrong wrong crowd and she had really great life up until like a few years before this. But like Heather had a criminal record. She was recently paroled from Ohio State Reformatory Prison, <laughs> and she had previous fel- uh, previous charges for pro- uh, prostitution and theft. So, like, I thought it was really interesting, too, that, like, she also ag- agreed to testify, Flip, she only got a deal. She's the only one that had, like, a real deal on the table. DeMarcus Smith took a plea agreement and pled guilty. But, like, she was the only one facing the death penalty. They didn't offer the same thing to the other person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I find that interesting, too, because, I mean, I know they always give, like, their little deals. But in a case or, like, crimes to this, like, level, I don't, I mean, how can you really say that this person was more involved than the other person? Like, it's not like one of them was, like, they only committed one and then they stopped. Like, they went and reported everyone like they all continued to commit the crimes yeah well and I guess the biggest thing is like Marvelous Keen pulled the trigger the most and then it was Demarcus Smith and then Laura Taylor I don't think Heather Matthews ever actually pulled the trigger she was just kind of along for the ride from like everything I could tell but like I'm gonna be real honest with you here there was definitely a period in my life 
where you could say I got caught up with the wrong crowd. Any of my family that will listen to this episode will be like, yep, I know exactly what she's talking about. Um, there's, I was definitely hanging out with some unsavory characters, some people that definitely have extensive criminal records, definitely have done a lot of hard drugs. <laughs> have I? No. Have I ever been around when, like, extreme felonies were being committed? Absolutely not. I might have been around along for the ride and a lot of dumb shit when I was younger. Like 16, 17, 18. I was around for a lot of dumb shit that I should never have been in, around. A hundred percent. But it has never been something where it's like robbery, sexual assault, murder. Like there, there's like a moral character <laughs> at some point in time. You have some sort of moral character and you have to question to yourself, what the fuck am I doing here? I can never, Sydney, ever imagine a point in time in my life being like, oh, I just wanted to be like them. I wanted to do what they were doing. I got caught up. The fuck? No. The fuck? (laughs) I would have had a panic attack and turned them in after the first person, Sydney. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, everyone has a decision. Like, you could, you had the option. I'm sure that they weren't holding you at gunpoint. Like, you probably could have walked away. You probably could have went outside and they wouldn't have said anything. Literally, she could have just, like, up and vanished. I gotta use the bathroom. And then, like, you fucking dip and you (laughs) go to the cops. Like, I don't know. Or even if you don't go to the cops because, like, they're your friends or whatever, you just fucking dip. Like, you're not all along for the ride for three days of just over a crime and a crime and a crime and a crime. Literally. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I could see, like, this happening now, even though it's, you know, 30 years later. <laughs> and if this were to happen where she would be, like, the only one getting a plea deal, it would be an issue. Because they're, I don't, I guess I don't get it. Yeah. That <laughs> they is spared her sketch. the death penalty, but she had a criminal, she was the only one with a criminal record. I don't know. There are just a lot of factors that I really don't like about this case. Um, but I will say this. Uh, I think the death penalty is, I used to think it was like a very black and white thing. Either you're for the death penalty or you're not. Um, I've learned it's like a lot of gray area. <laughs> um, and it's hard for me to tell you exactly where I stand to now. I used to be like in full support of the death penalty, uh, but I don't really know where I stand now. I'll say this. When I saw that he was executed, I ca- I'm going to be honest, I didn't really love that. <laughs> um, for the simple fact that like, he was 19 when he committed these crimes, although in the eyes of the law, he is an adult. It sounds like he had a very stunted life emotionally and mentally, probably wasn't where a lot of people might be at the age of 19. And I don't think he was a cold hearted criminal. Now, I might be wrong. It might be like my bias that I've gotten from reading. I've never met the man. You really don't have much to, like, see about statements. I can say that I don't think I ever saw any apologies, anything owning up to it. He didn't even want to say any final words. And none of his family kept in contact with him while he was in prison, from what I can tell. So those four things might make me say (laughs) maybe he wasn't a great person. Maybe he wasn't, you know, sympathetic. Uh, for what he did so I guess I can't really say firm or not I just think a lot of the articles actually kind of tended to like paint him that he was also one of these people that were just around along for the ride you know (laughs) well that's a bad thing with like the media because they can really portray anyone however they want to like Literally. For their their article. Like, they could make him, you know, be just, like, a bystander or more of, like, 
a victim character, for lack of a better term, especially in a circumstance like this. I don't want to refer to him as that, but like something along those, um, you know, that he was kind of forced into this situation. Or they can just say like, no, he's a cold-blooded killer. But the media, I think, has a lot to do with how these people are portrayed for just 100%. everyone. And don't get me started with the death penalty. I got a whole... I've written, like, a whole paper, like, a book on this, if you want to read further on Sydney's opinions. <laughs> okay, I'll have to read it another time. <laughs> it's a conversation yeah, not guess, for today. I guess you have a good point there, and it does make me, like, kind of, to, like, keep in mind everyone while you're, like, on this emotional journey with me here, <laughs> talking through how I'm feeling about all of this. All four of these people were compliant, and three out of the four did pull the trigger multiple times. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I guess that's another thing to keep in mind here. So, uh, yeah, it's really sad. I was trying to find some holiday cheer to bring everyone or holiday-themed cases. I don't think this is a very cheerful story by any means. But it ended, you know, in a good way. Like, a not a good way. They, like, were (laughs) caught, were caught and, like, didn't put up a fight and, like, they just were arrested. Peyton brought us some holiday fear, not cheer. (laughs) Cheer or fear, both Nicole is here. (laughs) She told me that you don't want to have a microwave, a TV, a phone, a curling iron, a blow dryer. Or a vehicle <laughs> around, because someone might take them after they kill you. I have all of these items in my home. Yep, that's what I've learned, too. Holiday or fear. in my driveway, I should say, in my home, because I don't have a car inside my home. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> well, I'll say I have a more fun episode when I get to pick the next one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Christmas <It's> fear. <laughs> This is some Christmas fear. I'll bring some Christmas cheer when my episode comes out on the 21st, okay? Bet. I haven't started research on your next case, so I don't, I'm guessing it's some more fear, though. <laughs> more Christmas fear, guys. More Christmas fear. Right. <laughs> well, you got some jokes and facts for me before we uh, wrap it up here today? I do. Which one do you want first? Yay. Um, I think I've been going fact first a lot lately, so let's switch it up. Let's do the joke first. How would I, would Eminem be the perfect employee at Taco Bell? <laughs> I don't feel like how is the right word. It should be why would Eminem be the perfect employee at Taco Bell? Why? Because he's basically a rap god. (laughs) That's why you literally said, all right, before we wrap it up. And I was like, damn, I want to make a comment, but then she's going to guess it. I'm literally, I have tears in my eyes right now. Oh my God. Oh, I love that one. I'm happy I could could provide. Because it's Eminem. <laughs> well, I really like the Harry Potter one, too. I feel like it works on two levels for me, you know? <laughs> Patronus! <laughs> okay, give me your fun fact. The word burrito first appeared in print in 1895. It's unclear when burritos first came to be, but is heavily speculated that they were created for convenience for like field or farm workers who would work these super long hours and not come back for like a lunch break. Really? Mhm. I thought that was pretty interesting. That is very interesting actually. Just carry a burrito huh. out there, eat half and then wrap it up and then eat it later. Yeah. That's I guess that's like how, how I was picturing it in my head. I had no idea if that's what they were doing. They might have been putting it like in a little <laughs> snack bag or something. I just pick like they're pulling out of their cargo pants. That is how I'm picturing it. <laughs> like, 
Well, that's fair. <laughs> oh, I got my afternoon burrito out of my cargo <laughs> shorts. I'll, I'm going to save the other half. I'll eat this one for my afternoon snack. <laughs> that's what I would do. I mean, <laughs> with, if I had cargo shorts, I probably would too. <laughs> now I'm going to ask people when they have cargo shorts if they have food in their pockets, specifically burritos. Or tater tots. Yeah, or like chicken nuggets, I guess. <laughs> it works on multiple levels. That's really funny that you said chicken nuggets. Um, do you know who the Yeet Baby is? The little girl on um, Instagram, and she's like, Yeet! No. You don't know who she... Okay, she's super cute. I, I follow I'm her. I'm like an old lady. <laughs> I'll send you this video. They went to uh, Five Below, though, yesterday. And she had a chicken nugget, and her uncle's like, you can't bring your chicken nugget in the store. And she's like, I can't bring my chicken nugget in the store. And then in quotes, he's like, I put it in my pocket. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's funny. She's really cute. I'm going to send you the video. Don't worry. Okay, sounds good. Maybe I'll find (laughs) her videos. Next episode, I'll have an update. (laughs) You better. Well, uh, I guess I have nothing else. So, folks, you can find us at Tacos and Tequila Podcast on Facebook. Just Tacos and Tequila on Instagram. Tacos and Tequila Podcast.com is our website. You can also also find a link for our merch there which would make really cool holiday gifts whatever you celebrate oh yes that could be fun um <laughs> if you're listening which i know some of you are you should go and like and rate our podcast or leave a review on apple podcasts it helps us get noticed and it just be, makes sydney feel better about her life Yeah, same. We really appreciate it (laughs) and all the support we get from you guys. So uh, keep the reviews coming and thanks for listening. I think that's it. (laughs) I think that's a wrap. Wrap it up. All right. (laughs) We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Ha 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 ha!